0: To the Urban Planners Podcast, hosted by Gigi the Planner. This podcast is about all things urban planning related and otherwise. In this setting, we'll discuss the ins and outs of the planning field. We'll even delve into some very controversial topics involving the role planners have to take in their everyday lives and jobs. Without further ado, let's jump right into today's episode. This, this is Gigi the Planner
1: welcome everyone to episode 28 of the urban planners podcast in today's episode i'll be interviewing jermaine ruffin from the streets are Planning podcast and we'll be talking about how he got started with this podcast and so much more hope you enjoy hello jermaine thank you for joining the urban planners podcast you are the first interviewee for my starting your planning brand series welcome
2: Wow. I'm honored to be the first person. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to be on here with you, Gigi. And like I said a million and one times, I love what you're doing and I'm glad to be a part of it.
1: Awesome. Thanks for being here today. So first off, please tell listeners a little bit about yourself, where you're from, your educational background, and what sparked your interest in the planning field.
2: Sure. I'm originally from Canton, Ohio, which is a major kind of industrial hub here in the Midwest and grew up there, graduated from high school and came to Michigan to go to Michigan State University and studied in basically like the liberal arts college there in a program at a college called James Madison at Michigan State University and that specializes in basically community development type work. My major was social relations and policy, so I learned both kind of the inner workings of cities from a sociological standpoint, and then also the policies that impacted neighborhoods and and cities across the country. So that kind of my upbringing, I grew up in the South Side, you know, in subsidized housing. And then that had a, a major impression on me about what I wanted to do for my future. And so studying that in college, I was able to kind of bring both my lived experience, the academic experience that I gained, and began working in a career of community development with the Michigan State Housing Development Authority. I worked there for a number of years, roughly 13, 14 years. And during that period of time, I went back to school to get my master's degree at the uh, University of Michigan in urban and regional planning. And uh, that was one of the best moves that I could make. I I didn't even really, for years, know that urban planning was actually a field. Um, So when I I told my my wife and told my my mother and and family that I was going to get an urban planning degree, they thought I was like trying to be a party planner or something like that. They didn't really understand what the field was, but the work in community development and that lived experience, as I mentioned before, made me feel really at home in the field of urban planning and I'm looking to see you what know, we can do moving forward in the future with the field of urban planning post-COVID. And so just the other piece of my experience has been starting a podcast, which is the Streets Are Planning podcast. And that basically came out of my love for cities and and an awareness of we don't have enough voices of who grew up in the lived experience or lived in a community that faced challenges and our and voices of color in, in the field of urban planning. So knowing that started that podcast and it's been great. It's been well received and you know, I enjoy doing that and I've, I've come across very people like yourself and others who are raising their voices and, and it's great to, to see that.
1: Cool, cool. That's very interesting. I actually thought that you were from Detroit. I didn't know that you were from Canton, Ohio.
2: Yeah. So the name Ruffin is synonymous with the city of Detroit, with Motown, with David Ruffin, and the Temptations and all of that. So I had family who lived here in Detroit. And so we would come up and family reunions and visit and all that stuff. And so that was my affinity for the city of Detroit and my affinity for the state of Michigan grew from that, those experiences of coming up in the summer and spending time in the city. So it was always a place that, you know, it's one of the blackest cities in America. It's like it's one of the meccas of cultural precedent in the country, and so in the world. So to be here and to be a part of it is is just amazing.
1: Cool. I, I think so, too. So you mentioned in expressing your background that you got your bachelor's degree and then you worked and then you went into your master's degree. So how long was that span and how was that transition to your master's? Was it like a hard transition or was it easy transition? How did that go for you?
2: Well, I graduated from undergrad in 2007 and then I went into my master's program in 2015. So it was eight years and the transition back into, you know, academic studies. It was that first semester just eye-opening, because <laughs> after you're, you know, working for so long, you're used to, you have your own way of doing things, you know, of, of being consistent, setting your schedule, and then the wins that you get from seeing projects completed or pro- programs develop and things like that, you're invested in that. And so to go back to school and switch over to some of the classroom discussions that we were having, because I had worked in a field somewhat, I had my thoughts about that. So it really took some time to really adjust to not just speaking on my personal experience, but being able to absorb and hear the experiences of others and figuring out a way from their point of view, adding it to mine if it was pertinent. But then, And then the coursework, oh man, like going from not writing papers for so long to like, Now I got to write a paper in a group project and do all this stuff. It was rough. But after that first semester, it it just was smooth sailing. I got through that first semester and really got to focus on what I was interested in, which was community and economic development. And yeah, it was no turning back after that first semester.
1: Cool. So were you working and in your master program at the same time?
2: No, I actually, I received a fellowship at the University of Michigan. And so a portion of my time there was spent as a a graduate assistant helping with research. And then the the other portion was actually, I I was a teacher's assistant and helped teach intro to urban planning, which was really cool because being able to see this next generation who expressed interest in urban planning and being able to talk to them as to their reasons why and pointing them in a direction of different literature and and urban planners who are practicing, that was a really cool experience. And some of those students that I was a TA for, still in contact from a mentor perspective, and some of them went to planning school at Michigan, and others went, you know, across the country. So that was pretty cool.
1: That's good. So I know with my program, and I don't know if this is similar with yours, but my program was, most of our classes were at night, so it allowed for people to work during the day, go to school afterwards. Now, most of the people in my program, they were just coming from undergrad to straight into grad and not really those that had like taken a hiatus, worked for some years and then went back. So were your classes like mostly in the daytime or were they at night or mixed or how was that?
2: Well, there was a mix. So there were very few classes that were in the evening. The, The Taubman College program, urban planning program is a full-time program. So there were a few students who were able to manage their work and school and they did that, but they had to limit their hours to no more than 30 hours a week. And so there were students who did that. I was fortunate enough with the fellowship that it subsidized. It didn't meet fully what I was making before I went back to graduate school on my professional job, but it did provide enough to where we could be comfortable and I could focus full time on the studies and the research that we had going on at the time. So my wife might disagree with that, um, but but she was extremely supportive. And we were able to get through it, make great relationships and learn quite a bit um, that's serving me today.
1: Cool. So you're based in Detroit, right? Uh, what kind of planning work do you do now?
2: So the planning work I'm involved in now is more on the community and economic development side, along with the community engagement piece of planning. So a lot of what I do is we have a strategy here in the city of Detroit called the strategic neighborhood planning process. And so what we do is we go out, we'll host community meetings, stakeholder meetings, do some light kind of planning and design as far as with streetscapes and with planning for parks infrastructure improvements but the piece that i play the largest role in is on the affordable housing side so a lot of, of what i do is engage the community to identify locations of where residents want to see additional housing or housing supports and then also on the commercial side of things what types of businesses would they like to see return to their neighborhood or be further enhanced in their neighborhood and so That type of work is something that I really enjoy because like I said, I grew up in subsidized housing and in the projects. And for me, like it's to have that that lived experience and then be able to go into these neighborhoods and talk to folks about what they want to see. We know that we need housing at all types of income levels. And when people think of affordable housing, they tend to think only that subsidized housing, um, which is important. But at the end of the day, we need to be able to increase the housing types and increase the housing availability so everybody has options that fit and suit them, whether they have the representative of the disability community or seniors or families. So I get to play a big role in that.
1: That's really, really cool. So how long have you been there at the job that you're at now?
2: Yeah, so I started the city of Detroit back in 2018. So I've been roughly a little over two years now. Prior to that was when I worked at Mishta. And during my time at MISHTA, I worked with the eight largest urban cities, quote unquote, urban cities in the state. So predominantly African-American cities, which is a lot of my work is driven by our community and their needs. And so I worked with Detroit for um, roughly seven, eight years prior to that from the state side. And so I knew the city really well because of the family connection, but also from the work that I was able to be involved in you know, prior to coming here.
1: Awesome. So what do you like and dislike about your current job? What are the good and bad?
2: Oh, wow. The the good is I am the type of person that I love to be out in community and to really listen and interact with folks. I think a lot of times planners, some planners, not all planners, but some planners come in and say, I'm the expert. Here's the plan. If you do this, your neighborhood and your city and your community could be better. Right. One of the things that I enjoy the most um, about this is like going in and listening to community because I might have an idea about what it is that I want to see just as a a resident of a city, but going to a neighborhood and getting that history of why the neighborhood may be in a position that it's in, but then also what do the the residents want to see? And that's always an exciting proposition for me because then it means that it can be my job is more as a facilitator as opposed to somebody who's leading and saying, this is what you should do. So I really enjoy that back and forth in that conversation and bringing my expertise to assist them with what they want to do for their neighborhood. The piece that I dislike the most probably right now in this role is probably the realization that there are not enough federal resources or programs that can assist us with dealing with affordable housing in a a holistic way. We just don't have enough tools. We have LIHTC, you have CDBG, and you have home funds. And outside of that, it's because those funds have been dwindling for the last decade. We're put in a position of trying to identify the issues, but we can't identify exactly all of the solutions because we just don't have the resources right now to address such a major issue as housing in the city of Detroit. So we're being innovative. We're trying new things. We're working with philanthropy and we're looking at good corporate actors to see if they're willing to invest and support our citywide causes of of trying to increase the availability of affordable housing. So yeah, it stinks. We've tried everything and we're going to continue to try everything, but the federal government, at least our legislators, just they haven't put forth the effort to ensure that everybody is housed because I I really do believe it's a human right housing is.
1: I totally agree with you on that. And I mean, we deal with the same thing down here in South Florida. I'm pretty sure everywhere in America (laughs) deals (laughs) with housing and the lack of federal funds. Cool. So one last thing about your job. So how has things been going for you while we're going through this pandemic right now? Are you working from home, in the office, or a little bit of both?
2: Yeah, we're working completely from home. We've been out of the office since I want to say like March 12th or March 13th and we've been working from home since then. So it's been really interesting. The first couple of weeks was like what, how are we going to do this? And so we you're like you got everybody has to get up on Zoom, everybody has to get these accounts set up, you get your laptops and all that and you're working for municipalities they don't always have the resources to supply some of the things that we absolutely need, like laptops and, and things of that nature. We had just upgraded our our laptops in the office, so that kind of worked in our favor. So we were able to to utilize those here at home. But community engagement is something that we are trying to figure out what it's going to look like moving forward for all of our projects and for all the things that we want to see done here in the city of Detroit. You know, Zoom is great for some folks, but there's an accessibility component. We don't have, a lot of folks don't have access to internet here. Some folks don't have access to, you know, if they do have internet, then typically the the tool of choice is the smartphone as opposed to having like a laptop and things like that. So that community engagement piece is really going to look different moving forward. And I'm concerned about it, but I think hopefully we'll develop some innovative practices that will be able to ensure that everybody who wants to participate can.
1: Yeah, and I do see some issues because I know with a lot of community engagement, for whatever reason, the elderly are usually the most involved. And when it comes to trying to do virtual engagement, they're not so apt to know how to use their phone all that well or a computer. So that's basically cutting out a large portion of what the community engagement may even be.
2: Yeah, I agree. It's really going to flip flip that dynamic because, as you indicated, typically older folks are attending the meetings in person. And sometimes, and I think one good thing that may come out of this is the understanding for planners that, look, you have to, when you're considering the community engagement process, you can't go about it as if it's a commission meeting or something that can just plan at one o'clock in the afternoon or two o'clock, you know, those types of things you can't just do any longer. Like, you have to be really thoughtful and strategic about offering community engagement opportunities throughout the day into the evening and provide kiosks or other locations where folks can provide input at the time they're available as opposed to the time that we're available. I think that might be one of the good things that comes out of this process that we'll be able to use Zoom and and really have multiple engagement points. But I still think we need that physical location in the neighborhood where folks may be drop in one at a time, practice social distancing, and provide their in-person comment, or uh, we're talking about maybe even having kind of like on the facade of of a building, maybe using the windows of some sort to post up project ideas and plans, and then maybe have them sticker vote, or maybe have them do something like a raceable marker or something like it. You know, I don't know. We're trying to think through all options of, of how we increase input.
1: Yeah, that is really something to think about and consider <laughs> while we're going through all of this right now.
2: Without question.
1: So you briefly talked about your podcast that you started last year called Street Start Planning. What caused you to start your podcast?
2: Yeah, I think the biggest thing was is a lack of voices from folks of color in, in the urban planning space. And I know that there, there are a lot of us who are out practicing in, in communities and in neighborhoods doing this work And I felt like even with me for such a long time, I was really focused on just the work, right? I was focused on getting the projects done, having meaningful engagement, doing all those things, which is still important. But I think sharing our stories and sharing our best practices and sharing our failures and things that didn't go so well with each other improves the field overall. And, you know, I I started a program while I was at the University of Michigan that was meant to increase the number of of black folks in the field of urban planning. So we did a specific targeted outreach to HBCUs. And so that was like the first foray into that. But it was also into understanding that urban planning was not a field that was widely known by a lot of undergraduates of color. And once they found out about it, we all have love for our respective cities and towns. Well, most folks do. And so you start thinking about it as like, well, I've always wanted to come and make a difference. I've always wanted to have an impact on my city. I just didn't know that I could do it from a real estate perspective or from a design perspective or understanding how zoning impacts the, the outcomes in neighborhoods and things like that. So that just further let me know that, look, I have this voice, you know, whether it's a large voice or small voice, I don't know. But it's a it's a voice that I felt I need to bring to the table. And share some of these experiences and highlight others experience to let folks know they're not alone out here right like we're, we're not alone you're active you're doing your thing down there in florida i've talked to folks in, in buffalo and los angeles chicago all over the country and shared stories and advice and things like that that hopefully is a benefit to the folks who listen but also to the folks who are practicing or looking to practice so we can heighten our awareness and also our impact in, in the outcomes in, in the cities that we love.
1: I agree with that. So I really like how you incorporated planning and hip hop. What sparked that idea?
2: So I, I grew up on golden era of hip hop in the 90s. And one of the things that was always at the forefront for me was that rappers are often just simply journalists of the streets. So as much as regular folks are tuned in, they have a a very keen eye. So like, you know, my favorite rapper is is Jay-Z, hands down and Jay-Z and Nas are my two favorite rappers. So I would always listen to them and it would reaffirm some of the things that I was thinking as I was experiencing that life in the hood, so to speak. And so it just was a natural tie for me. To to say, like, all right, all of these songs that influence me and influence life and influence black culture, it makes sense for me to tie those two things together as a way to one, highlight and lift up our culture. I'm uh, you know, like Issa Rae say, like, I want everybody black to win. I want us to win and be successful. So I want to highlight our culture because it's our culture, but it's it's American culture. And I think that's what I wanted to, to really highlight. And the second piece is. The names of these songs, like when I hear them, I, I also connect them to experiences. I started off, uh, my first episode was Where I'm From, and that, that's a song by Jay Z. And every time I hear it, there's certain things that I don't relate to, but there's other things that I've lived and experienced in the song. And I'm like, man, this is what we when we talk to people when we're whether as, as a planner, that's one of the first things neighborhood residents ask, like, so where are you from, man? You know, because they want to know. If you relate to their experience and so that was just another way to show folks our culture is worldwide and many many people across the globe relate to to our experience
1: i agree i really like that so what have been your biggest struggles since starting your podcast
2: i think the biggest struggle for me because i originally started as kind of like as an experiment i want to start recording these episodes and putting them out and kind of see how it goes and learn from there I just hopped into it. Like I hopped in wholeheartedly and I didn't know how to properly edit and like do all some of those things. I was learning like YouTube, learning all the stuff to kind of get up to speed, to have a quality podcast. And so some of my early episodes, I look back and I'm like, oh my God, I didn't normalize. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. So that part of like learning the recording experience, the proper equipment to have, working with sound and all that kind of stuff. It's a learning experience. The other difficult piece is for me, some of my friends that have their podcast, they have a co-host or they have somebody that's helping them behind the scenes. And I wasn't doing that. I was like, I want to learn everything and do it all on my own. So then when I bring somebody on, I understand what, what it takes to get it done. So. Often when you're recording, you're asking the questions, you're trying to plan out and schedule shows and all that kind of stuff. It was rough. <laughs> it was really rough. I was really ready to go this, this season. Um, I had a lot of that stuff taken care of. And then COVID took my studio space and all that. But, you know, we'll get back to it. <laughs>
1: you no, know, I can totally understand that. It can relate in some ways as well. <laughs> so what have been some of your most efficient tools that you have used for starting your podcast?
2: I, I use Simplecast to post my shows and things of that nature. It's, it costs a little bit of money to do that, but I found that it, for me at least, it was an effective way to be able to have at one place upload um, and tie it into both social media and also to, to all of the podcast platforms. It was really efficient. And so that's one of the, the best tools that I use. I also, I just recently got new mics. And I'm waiting for some of my stuff to arrive, but hopefully with this equipment that allows me to be mobile and doing and conducting interviews and things like that, that'll be helpful for me moving forward. Yeah, Simplecast went a long way for me to to get my show published and put out on all the different platforms all at once.
1: Mm-hmm. That's cool. So you're using a studio. I don't know what the ratio is of people that's doing podcasts and that uses a studio. I'm I'm pretty sure maybe a small. <laughs>
2: a small yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and let me just tell you, like, it sounds more glamorous than it is. Really, what it is is that they're like down the street from my house. I live downtown Detroit, and so I'm like I'm walking by this hotel downtown called the Foundation Hotel, and I walk by it and I like see on air in the window. And I just kind of looked over and I'm like, whoa, somebody's in there recording. I was like, oh, I didn't even know they had a studio in here. So I went in and asked about it. And uh, they were like, yeah, it's our podcast studio. You can just sign up for whenever. And so it was really convenient. I get out of work. I go over to the studio. I walk right down the street. And, and a lot of the folks that I had set up interviews with, they work downtown or it was an easy commute from then to get from the neighborhood to downtown to this location. And it just worked out. And so I I was able to keep doing that at no cost. They had a, because it was just starting up, they wanted to kind of drum up business and get people in and and all of that stuff. So that's how it it, it worked out. Most of the people who start podcasts don't have that experience as you indicate majority of folks you're recording from home and you're already mobile to begin a process. And that's really something that, that is attractive with starting a podcast because you can do it anywhere. So I started backwards.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's interesting. So, I mean, it's good that they're let you, letting you use it for free because I could imagine that it could be a steep cost if you were to maybe use a bigger studio.
2: Oh, yeah. I did look at other studios in the area. Podcasting is getting to be a really big thing, as you know. But here in, here in Detroit, there are, are a number of podcast studios that started popping up and kind of podcast platforms and groups that they're promoting shows on different, they're creating their own network, essentially. And so that cover a wide range of topics and and then charge them for the studio space. So it was like $40 an hour or $50 an hour or something like that. And and I, did, I was like, no, that was not an expense that I was <laughs> willing to pay when I'm starting out. Like, you know, I want to make sure that I can build a foundation. And I think I've done that and prepared for the second season to be able to pick it up here at home when i finish getting all the stuff that i need to to do Mm -hmm.
1: so cool so with your interviews have they all been in person or have some of them been like over the phone or um, virtual
2: i've done the majority of my interviews in person you've had folks be able to come into the studio and have those conversations i did have one that i recorded off-site outside the studio with with some friends. I have one of my really good friends, James Bell, who was a uh, social worker, a doctor of, of social work. And we were having a conversation and that worked out really well. He had some equipment that we were able to use. And so it worked out well.
1: That's cool. Yeah, that, that's one of the biggest, I wanna say struggles with podcasting is to ensuring that um, the people you're interviewing has good audio. Even if you have that
2: audio? <laughs> yes. <laughs> that could be a major issue. I actually had an episode where we recorded the whole episode, and it was my favorite episodes that I, that I had done um, because we were talking to Black women who are great planners and just wonderful at what they do. And I was so excited to have them on and, like, we're having this conversation. And long story short... I got rushed out of the studio cause somebody was coming in afterwards. So I just took the audio and I was like, oh, I'll just edit it at home. And I got home and I realized like one of them didn't have their mic on. And so their voice was getting picked up on the other two mics. And so I had to figure out a way to like, try to raise the level on our mics to include her voice. It was a mess. I still published it cause I was like, I don't know what to do with this great content. Like it's still gonna go out there. So I was like, please, I think, I hope my audience forgives me for this because it won't happen again. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, there's so many things that can happen. I had to re-record a podcast episode the other week and I just started. So, yeah, there are some struggles <laughs> with that.
2: It happens. And the thing is, is like, I would just say, don't be discouraged. One of the things that I learned along the way is, is that I not only do I record the audio, with the mics that I have, you know, available in the studio, but I also recorded, um, on my phone with, uh, I downloaded an audio app. So I recorded there as well. So if it doesn't get picked up on the mics, surprisingly, that phone recording, the, the quality works out pretty much the same. It's almost kind of like a wash, so to speak. And so I, I would use that backup audio as well. So that would just be one of the things that I would encourage folks who are starting a podcast is like, yeah, you definitely want to have multiple options of how you're recording. I know folks have added the visual component to their podcast and stuff like that. So that helps some. My stuff so far have been strictly just audio. And so moving forward, I would like to add that visual component to it. because I think that really pulls and draws people in when they can see you. <laughs> oh, man. So having that connection goes a long way, too.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've considered that, but I'm I'm still trying to battle that in my head if I want to have the visual part.
2: It adds work to the process. It definitely does. And the cost goes up. You got to get the camera. You got to have somebody like have your angles and your lighting. It's It takes a lot. And just like you said, I don't know if I'm ready for that. I keep talking like I am to convince <laughs> myself eventually to do it. I don't know.
1: Cool. Yeah. So what are some positive things that have come out of your podcast or you expect will come with the growth of where you're going right now?
2: I think that the most positive thing that's come out of it is a greater awareness of people who are interested in urban planning as a field that just didn't know what urban planning was. When you begin to talk to people about how cities are impacted and and the design of cities and why this zoning code or this particular council approved resolution might impact them directly but be able to, to distill that into layman's terms and just say like look we might be talking about something downtown or in a commercial corridor and you hear a planner or architect somebody say fenestration like oh yeah we want to increase fenestration here you're like well Actually, what you're talking about, you need to be able to take that term and say, "Look, we're just talking about windows." You're really talking about being folks sitting in a restaurant being able to see people on the street. Say that and relate. Uh, make sure that you know your audience and that you're talking to them positively. So, I think I've had a lot of people reach out and say, you know, they appreciate the the discussions that we have. They appreciate the fact that there are folks that look like them, sound like them, that are talking talking about urban planning and how we can impact community. And I think some of my guests have also seen an increase in their kind of people reaching out to them to say, hey, can you participate on my show? So seeing my network kind of grow and seeing the, the positive influence that we have, we're just having a simple discussion has been one of the greatest takeaways from this. That's been awesome. And then I'll add this final thing <laughs> to that is. I've traveled to some urban planning events and I've gone to different colleges and universities in the in region for a host of reasons. And running into people who have like, hey, I listen to you. I listen to the podcast. Let me introduce you to this person or that person. Or this, And, and so the network just keeps increasing. That's a really cool thing as, as well, because it means that we're making a positive impact and the folks want to know more.
1: Cool. I really think that's good. So question regarding your guests. I know they aren't all planners, but when you have them on your podcast, do they know what planning is or are they just learning about it when they get on the podcast?
2: You know, that's a great question. The majority of folks who have come on the show either work directly with planners or have Um, a planning background. So a lot of them have a familiarity with what it is uh, that we do because we work together on projects or things of that nature. There have been a few guests where prior to coming on the show, I update them on the topic because I think that they have some positive contributions to that conversation. But I also talk to them about my field and how I view as a, in my role as an urban planner and my, my professional career as an urban planner, how we should drive that discussion, right? And so we end up maybe talking one to two times, probably 30 minutes or whatever total to prep some of those guests who just aren't really up to speed on what urban planning is, but play an integral role in the neighborhood that impacts what I do.
1: I think that's good that you do that with your guests. Okay, so you briefly talked about, you know, the fact that you can't be in the studio now because of this pandemic pandemic. So I'm guessing that you would have started your second season if we weren't going through this, right?
2: Absolutely. So the way that I had it, my secret sauce this year, I was like, all right, I'm going to have some phone interviews. So the mayor of Compton, I had reached out to her staff and she had made some comments on one of my posts on Instagram and shot me a message you know, privately, like, this is, this looks really cool, blah, blah, blah. And so I was like, that was going to be my only phone in interview, everything else I had gotten set up to really focus uh, on those in person interviews, and I had them scheduled out and everything else. And then COVID happens. And so I put out my intro, and then like, COVID happens. And I'm like, I have no content, because I'm like, supposed to be I'm interviewing live that week. So the content is fresh, I wanted to keep it fresh. And I wanted to keep it in a space where we were really going to integrate more things that were happening in, in the news at the moment, you know, regarding urban planning, real estate development, economic development, all of that. And and so it it didn't work out, but I'm not discouraged. I'm like, I'm, I just got to figure out a different way to, to do it. And maybe zoom, like what we're doing right now might be the good alternative for us and then what we're doing this season. So. We'll see. I'm looking forward to having more content to put out here fairly soon.
1: Cool. so what made you decide to do seasons for your podcast?
2: I thought that it was one in my mind, it was a clever way of keeping interest and being able to market the show. I think because I've linked my show with hip hop is that the seasons to me are like volumes of like Jay-Z, The Life and Times of Sean Carter. So that was the inspiration. It's like volume one is season one. I put out a certain number of episodes that come across as if it's a mixtape, like the mixtape culture. So 14 episodes or so for the first volume, and then move into volume two, where the theme of each volume is gonna be different. and have a different focus. And so that's the reason why I went with the volume, I went with the seasons. Because it matched up well with that.
1: Cool. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I like that.
2: Yeah, I, I do sit back and I've been rethinking it, but I'm going to stick with it. But I was rethinking it because I'm like, well, I've seen other podcasts that just was like episode 35, right? Like you just keep going and and make it consistent in that way. But I wanted to be able to take a break in between those those seasons as well to be really thoughtful about the content that I'm putting out. and. I kind of check myself to make sure that what we're discussing is relevant. It's relevant in the moment and it's relevant to the future of the field of planning and to the people who, you know, provide input and send me emails and and reach out is this content that would be well received by them. So that's another smaller component to it, but something that was important to me personally.
1: I like that. So Do you have any future goals as it relates to growing your platform and transitioning into bigger and better things?
2: Yeah, I do. I think moving forward, and and this is a a tip of the hat to you actually, I got to say this, watching and looking at people who I'm motivated by and people I think who are doing a fantastic job, folks are beginning to, you know, broaden what that platform could possibly be. And from, the merchandising standpoint or from creating a, a larger network that could be utilized as a, a professional network and things like that. I know those are things that I'm entertaining right now is it like, does that make sense to maybe create these things kind of regionally and then partner up to better increase the visibility of not only just my brand, but the brand of other planners and like-minded planners, things like that. That's something that I'm considering. But outside of that, I really would like to increase the awareness of the field and expand my brand in a way that remains authentic to me and authentic to the communities that I'm I'm speaking to and also turns into one of those things like maybe it's syndicated eventually or picked up by a larger organization, not because for the monetary reasons, all that stuff always works itself out, but for the fact that I think we can reach more people to increase awareness, to better understand how they can be involved directly in urban planning issues and development anywhere in the world. I, I would really love to have that international impact for the full diaspora of, of African-Americans. You know, like I want people in South Africa, I want people anywhere in the world of color to know that this is something that they could be involved in as a profession, And even if they're not, this is something that they can influence and impact.
1: Cool. So as we wrap up, is there anything else that you'd like to share with my audience or any advice that you'd like to give those that maybe wanted to start a podcast?
2: Yeah. So for me, I think a couple of things. Making a podcast, it is time and dedication. So I think one of the things that would serve folks well is mapping out clearly what it is that they wanna get accomplished. Think of it in a few episodes at a time or like maybe a volume or a season is not what everybody uh, wants to do. But for me, it gives me the opportunity to be thoughtful and strategic about what types of conversations I wanna have and what types of conversations I'm getting feedback on from my audience as to what they'd like to hear more about. So being critical of your content which can be hard. I, I write poetry. I, I'm like in the middle of, of writing like some urban planning children's books right now. Little Jay in the city was going to be a big deal. So <laughs> I'm like doing those types of things to, And then bringing in additional voices. Like this is what, what this is about for me. And what I think other folks should be considering is what are other voices that you believe need to be heard? And is your platform providing space for those voices to feel comfortable having conversation. And so, yeah, I would just encourage folks to just be thoughtful, be strategic, understand that it's gonna take a lot of work to not only record the episodes, but edit episodes and you know get them on platforms and like do all of these things. But it takes that time, but you can do it. You can manage it. And I, I want more voices, especially voices of black and brown people across the world to enter this space. And know that you are culture and your voice deserves to be heard and shared with the world. So jump on in. Jump on into the game.
1: Awesome. So please provide your social media platform so people can connect with you.
2: Yeah, sure. So at Streets of Planning on Twitter, we have the Streets of Planning on Instagram. You can also follow me at Ruffin on Instagram as well. And we also have a website for Streets of Planning and Planning.com and where you can find the links to listen to the show. And uh, we're also on all the major podcast platforms from Spotify uh, to Apple Podcasts and Google and others. So you can find me there. And uh, Gigi, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me on.
1: Awesome. Thank you for being a guest. And I hope to one day be in your podcast soon.
2: Yes, that is going to happen when I get stuff set up. It's going to happen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, thank you for your time. Yeah, thank you. Thank you all for listening to today's podcast. If you would like to be interviewed in a future episode, please head over to my website at com and select the interview tab and you can request to be interviewed by me in a future episode. That's all for today, folks. Ciao. Thanks for
0: listening to the Urban Planners Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please head over and leave a five-star rating on iTunes and subscribe to this podcast so that you won't miss out on an episode. If you would like to buy personalized urban planning gear and other products or are in need of some urban planning career coaching, please head over to ggtheplanner.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and on Facebook at GGThePlanner. Have a great week and we'll see you. Next episode.